HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexis Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve that daily question that we're all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Pierce Abernathy. Pierce is a recipe developer and content creator making fun and approachable food online. He's passionate about getting people to eat more plants and cook for themselves more often. He's formerly worked for BuzzFeed Tasty and also in restaurants. He's now making viral food videos on Instagram on TikTok. Check him out at Pierce Abernathy on Instagram and Pierza on TikTok. That's P-I-E-R-Z-Z-A. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Pierce. I'm so excited. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So you're, the stuff you're doing online is like very, it's, it seems kind of like healthy forward. Like how would you describe kind of like your cuisine if you had to? Oh, uh, I would say the stuff I make online is definitely vegetable forward. Um, I want it to be simple, approachable, um, but also a bit unique and fun. Uh, I try to be a bit creative with what I'm doing too. Interesting. So when did you start? Like, talk, let's, let's take it way, way back. Let's talk about food and family. Like when you were growing up, how did you kind of start? What was kind of like your food awakening, I guess? Like, were you watching your parents in the kitchen or what was kind of like the backstory there? Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Virginia. Um, my dad's side of the family, his mom is Armenian. Um, so definitely grew up eating some Armenian things, but um, my mom was the main cook of the house and she was very adamant on um, cooking a lot of vegetables, making sure we were getting, um, you know, healthy meals any chance she got. Um, so she, you know, would cook anything from Armenian dishes that she learned from uh, my dad's mom to dishes she grew up eating from her mom. Um, but yeah, I would say I wasn't super interested in food until I got probably till college. 
Interesting. So when did that start? Were you like cooking for your friends at school or how did that start? Yeah. So I went to school in Boston and was didn't really know anyone when I moved to Boston and, and kind of was able to to meet new people and kind of get a fresh start. But also growing up in Kentucky, the transition to such a, a diverse food scene in Boston was was really eye opening. Um, and I also became friends with people who were who were much more passionate about food than I was at the time. Um, so I started eating, you know, a lot of things that I didn't eat before um, and and cooking more often as well. I was actually going into my freshman year of college, I was vegetarian and ended up breaking my vegetarianism, I think halfway through my freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. And that kind of kickstarted this adventure into just finding new and interesting things to eat. Cool. And I'm sure you found like a lot of new and interesting things to eat in Boston. That's like a very good culinary scene. Definitely. Definitely. There was uh, there was a lot going on, honestly. Um, and there is quite a big international population um, of, of students at the school I went to. So I was able to to meet and learn uh, about their cuisines and cultures as well. Awesome. So I know you said your your grandma, I guess, is Armenian. What was like yes. some the what were some like, did you have traditional Armenian food? Like what are some of those dishes, I guess? Yeah, we did. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, as yeah um so i grew up eating a lot of pilaf um so pilaf is a traditional armenian rice dish um my grandma's recipe is made with actually uh pasta noodles and and rice and then it's cooked in chicken stock it's a very simple dish but it almost can go well with anything um so I ate a lot of that, a lot of grape leaf dolma. Um, so again, rice wrapped in uh, grape leaves that are then usually steamed. Um, and then Armenian green beans, which are usually cooked in a very like savory and um, spice forward tomato sauce. But uh, those are like the, the main three things I would say I grew up eating. Ooh, that all sounds very, very good. <laughs> like really good. Um, and then so then on your dad's side, what was he? Or what is so, so that is that is so that's my dad's. Oh, yeah, mom that's your dad's side. Okay, I'm losing track. Okay, so then on your mom's side, my mom's side, I believe. So my mom's mother is Polish, and then my mom's father, I think, was was like Irish English. Um, but I would say culturally, like no, no dishes were really present on that side of the family. We were just cooking mainly. I'd say you know American food or, or very kind of like general food that was made for dinner in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Right. Yeah. <laughs> classic stuff like kid cuisine, maybe those. Yeah. Like, like roast, roast chicken. Um, a lot of like white fish. Um, I loved peas growing up. Peas were a staple. Um, a lot of pasta, uh, you know, spaghetti and meatballs, you know, things like that. All, all fairly simple, but everything homemade. Yeah, that's awesome. And what was your favorite food? I know you said peas. What, were, what was like your favorite food growing up? I was actually talking to my mom before this this call, and I, I was you know trying to ask her about growing up. And I think it was probably spaghetti and meatballs when I was like young, young. That was probably my go to. Really, spaghetti and meatballs. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I love spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love uh, a tomato-y pasta still. Um, me too. Me too. And I actually like a plainer tomato-y or like a plain pasta rather than like a pasta with a meat sauce. 
if that makes sense. Like I'd rather have like, I don't know, like a uh, Pomodoro than a Bolognese. Definitely. I'm, okay, I'm in you the, agree? Yeah, I'm in the same. I think, you know, to be honest, like creamy pastas are a little too aggressive for me. I mean, I think pasta itself and the starch are, are quite heavy to begin with. So mm-hmm. I find myself, at least when I'm making pasta dishes, leaning to to keeping it pretty light, you know, and simple. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, yeah, I, I won't get into my issues with bolognese because I don't want to be a bolognese <laughs> hater, but I'll tell you another time <laughs> when you're in the mood to hear about my weird, like food idiosyncrasies. <laughs> so how did your cooking style kind of evolve? Like, how did you kind of develop this, I guess, I don't know, love for, you know, cooking plant forward. And I feel like you have a sort of unique cooking style that's kind of hard to put my finger on, honestly. And I think you do a good job of describing it. But how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, I mean, I think as I started cooking myself more, I really kind of found out that it's not too difficult to make a lot of vegetables taste very delicious. Um, And I think, you know, we're probably both in the same generation where, My mom used to, you know, say like, you know, I'm going to make you eat Brussels sprouts or I'm going to make you eat asparagus. And I like look back on that phrase now and I'm like, both of those things are absolutely delicious. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, the more I kind of cooked for myself and and the more, you know, I was was trying a lot of vegetable forward food. I was just realizing that you can make really savory, you know, filling and, and kind of, you know, heartier dishes being vegetable forward. Cool. So what are some of the like staples when you're making dinner, I guess, for yourself? Like what, what is, I know you're obviously making a lot of content, but what does like dinner look like in your house? Yeah. Oh, um, if, if it's not just leftovers, um, I would say like, I'm always doing either like a roasted broccoli or a roasted cauliflower. That's definitely one of the staples. If I'm doing broccoli, it's usually just salt and lemon zest and roasted it around, you know, 425. If it's cauliflower, I love the combination of cauliflower and cumin. Um, Mm. That's always great. I'm always going to have some sort of salad. So whether it's just like, you know, simple greens tossed in a vinaigrette or the salad is kind of the base of something and I add maybe some greens in there. Um, But yeah, and then protein wise, it's it's usually fish. Um, I've been on a really big tempeh kick recently. I really like how you can kind of introduce flavor into into tempeh. Um, but yeah, it's it's really, it really changes. I, I honestly like go to the grocery store and kind of whatever looks looks good, I'll, I'll go with that. Interesting. So how are you kind of like approaching what's for dinner? Are you like, I mean, I know, you know, you have those staples, but is it like, oh, I really want a protein tonight or like I'm really in the mood for like, I feel like from what you're describing, it's not like you're super leaning into like, oh, I'm in the mood for Asian, I guess. Like, so are you approaching it based on like the ingredient and what's, or like what you're in the mood for? Like, how are you kind of getting there? Yeah, I I think it really depends. I think, you know, to be honest, and you know, since I've started making a lot of food content, I don't, I don't really tackle dinner as like, oh, I found this recipe and, you know, I want to make this, but it's more so what can I cook quickly that's you know going to satiate my appetite um but i I think i look at it either you know protein based or even grain based so grain based it's like do i want pasta or do i want like soba noodles um so if i want pasta you know what do i want you know a tomato based pasta am i going to use fresh tomatoes or canned tomatoes 
like soba, I'm going to go more Asian flavors. So I don't want to use like miso or gochujang um, and kind of build from there. Um, but yeah, honestly, like protein isn't the main kind of the driving force behind how I think about dinner. Cool. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Very, very cool. <laughs> I love learning about these things about people. So tell me about some um, like ingredients you always have on hand. Like what are some things that are always in your kitchen? Oh, um, let's see. I mean, I love all kinds of miso paste. Um, I think it's absolutely incredible. I've been really into yuzu koshu as well right now. What um, is that? Yuzu, I, I, it is, yuzu is a Jap, I believe it's a Japanese citrus. Um, and okay, so the, yuzu is, you said yuzu koshu, is that different than just yes. yuzu? So it's an ingredient made with yuzu. And oh. I do believe it is, um, it's like pickled. I believe it's pickled. I'm, I don't want to go too far and, and say the wrong thing, but um, <laughs> it is, it's a, it's a salt forward citrus ingredient yeah and like wow those are like that is not what i expected at all (laughs) (laughs) um you know i i love tahini as well um another great pantry staple um you know for leaning more into mediterranean cooking which i would say i kind of lean to that style of cooking a lot like uh zatar blends um i love urfa pepper aleppo pepper um you know, even sumac. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I try to have a, a good staple of, you know, some good pantry items, but also leaning into a lot of just fresh produce and kind of whatever I find at the grocery store. Yeah. And it sounds like whatever you're doing is always like going to have a lot of flavor. Like it doesn't seem like you do a whole lot of like bland things. Like you have all these like really cool little, I guess, ingredients that boost flavor. It sounds like all these things you're describing is make it very delicious (laughs) definitely and yeah even on that same note i've i've been uh, a big fan of uh dried or dehydrated shiitake mushrooms or in that case any dried mushroom um i think they're they're absolutely delicious in in basically making uh some sort of mushroom stock or broth that you can then incorporate into something you're cooking and then also once those mushrooms are rehydrated you can kind of take them and, and cook them however you would uh fresh mushrooms Gotcha. So you have a lot of, I mean, from my perspective, a lot of culinary expertise. And I know you described kind of like picking up on that type of cooking when you were in college and, but then you, you staged at a restaurant. So like, how did all this, I mean, you're incredibly well-versed in the kitchen from my perspective. So was it just kind of like a lot of trial and error, a lot of practice, like you working in the restaurant, like how did you pick up on all this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was working at BuzzFeed, we were pretty much cooking every day. So, you know, as as the title of a video producer at BuzzFeed, it's, you know, it's almost even more than that. So you're recipe developing, you're shooting, you're editing, um, you're testing the recipe. Um, so you're kind of doing everything on that end. And even though, you know, that kind of food is not really what I make myself or what I make now, it definitely you know, cooking every day really just helps you understand what works and what doesn't in the kitchen and also what you, what your food preferences are. Um, So that definitely started it. And then obviously like when I transitioned into interning and then ultimately working at Huertas, which was the restaurant I worked at in New York, um, 
I was able to pick up a lot more techniques there. That's awesome. And then when did you decide to start like pursuing the whole content thing where you're like churning out recipes and filming them? Like when did you decide to start doing that? Um, honestly, that really came out of kind of out of nowhere. Uh, it was in the middle of the pandemic and I had moved back from New York to Kentucky. Um, so being in the pandemic, I had quite a lot of free time on my hands. Um, so when I wasn't working, I was like, I'll, you know, make some recipes. And to be honest, I was challenged by a friend to make a reel. So this was right when the reels platform came out on Instagram and we both Mm -hmm. kind of challenged each other to make a reel. And I made a, I made like a baba ganoush dip. And I realized that a lot more people saw and engaged with that content than anything else I had posted. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so the week later, I was like, I'll make another dip. And it just kind of like continued from there. Um, and I saw a lot of engagement and growth. And I was like, this is a really fun outlet for me um, that, you know, is not too intense. Uh, so I'm just going to keep up with it. And then slowly I started seeing more and more growth and it kind of evolved to where it is now. That's awesome. And so tell me about this dip thing. I know you like, you're always <laughs> like, I love dips. Why do you love dips so much? <laughs> um, so I love dips because I think it's, you know, it's a creative outlet that you can really test and, and manipulate a lot of ingredients without having to be necessarily too technique focused. I think, you know, there's, a lot of strict borders around certain cuisine or certain styles of cooking where I feel like with dips, it's kind of free range. And, you know, if it tastes good at the end, then, then, you know, you did, you did good. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your favorite dips? Like there's so many, I mean, I didn't even, I, there's probably way more dips than I could even come to. I feel like you turn anything into a dip. Is that something that you've like challenged yourself to do is just like come up with crazy new dips Definitely. Um, I'm definitely on the pursuit to, to find the perfect dip. But yeah, I would usually like, especially I don't make dips as frequently as I did before, honestly, because I felt like I almost exhausted <laughs> the majority of things. I do try to keep them in circulation with with the videos that I do make. Um, but I honestly, I'll just go to the grocery store and, you know, find a main ingredient, usually a vegetable and be like, all right, I'll go from there. What what do I want to do with this? Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun and it's been a a creative challenge that's been, um, you know, really exciting for me and, uh, definitely helping me just grow as, as a home cook too. Yeah. So what's your favorite dip that you've made so far? Oh, I mean, there is, there's so many, um, I made, a I think it was like a Swiss chard artichoke dip that was in, it was like a vegan Swiss chard artichoke dip with like a cashew base that I really liked. Um, honestly, I love a good baba ganoush. Like I love a good burnt eggplant dip. Um, a really great classic hummus I enjoy as well. Um, but I also just made, uh, speaking of these dehydrated mushrooms that we talked about, I made a mushroom and white bean dip, I guess about a week ago now that I was a really big fan of. Um, so I rehydrated the mushrooms with the and cooked them with the beans like really slowly to make the beans very tender and also instill some of that shiitake flavor into the beans and pureed that with some sesame oil um 
and yeah, it was, it was great. That sounds so good. <laughs> and so on the topic of dips, what's your favorite vessel for dipping? Like, is it, are like, do you love <laughs> bread or are you more of a carrot guy? Like, what are we dipping Ooh, here? I think it, I think it depends on the dip. Um, I'm, I'm a huge bread person for sure. I love, you know, all kinds of flatbread, whether it be pita or naan or lavash. Um, but I'm also a big proponent of, of baby carrots and cucumber. Like baby carrots are always in my fridge for sure. Yes. Um, and crackers too. A great, a great CD cracker, uh, is, is great as well. So I think it really, one depends on, you know, what, what, what you're in the mood for, but two also what kind of dip you're having. Oh, Gosh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, honestly, you're just the, the, the item itself is just a vessel for getting dip in your mouth. Exactly. Like the item itself is not as important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to agree with that. I definitely have a lot of people like, you know, what are you, what are you eating with this? And it's like, it, you know, to be honest, like my mom is a big proponent of getting something with the least amount of flavor, just so she can taste the dip to its like fullest. So she loves like water crackers, mm. um, you know, keeping it really, really simple. So then she can only taste the flavor of the dip. Yes. But I do think maybe that's a new challenge for you to find the perfect dipping apparatus. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, I did. I did. I made, I made some crackers recipe. I made some pita recipes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to explore that a bit more. <laughs> A real dip tangent, like you're the, <laughs> you're the dip guy. You make other things, so you don't just make dip, but it yeah. is funny. Like, I don't think I've ever heard somebody so passionate about dips. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, it just kind of fell into it. And now it's like, oh, you're the dip guy. <laughs> sure, that's fine. <laughs> sure, so be it. So you talk about grocery shopping and going and kind of like, I don't know, in a sort of cliche way, kind of like letting the ingredients speak to you and deciding what you're going to do. So tell me how often are you grocery shopping? Are you kind of like a once a week kind of guy? Are you going multiple times a week to see what's up? Like what's your grocery shopping situation? Oh man. I mean, like there are weeks that I'm there every day for sure. Um, And sometimes that's just because I'm forgetting something or I'm working on a recipe and you know, as I'm developing it, something changes or I need an ingredient I don't have. Um, so I'm fortunate because I'm quite close to the grocery store. So I can do a grocery trip in, you know, 20 minutes. Um, so I much prefer doing lighter, like going there more frequently and doing lighter trips than, than really planning it out and having a list and going and, and stocking up for the week. But also mm-hmm. now that it's getting into the summer, I'm, you know, trying to go to more farmer's markets as well. And I really try to lean as seasonal as possible with the food I make. Yeah. So that's what I was just about to ask you next, actually, is like, I am not super familiar with like, I guess, local produce in the South. Like, can, like, is there, what is, what type of produce are you really running into in the farmer's market in Kentucky that we may not see up here? Or is it all kind of similar? Or like, yeah, I really don't know anything about the South. So um, <laughs> do tell. I mean, I would say it's, it's, it's pretty similar to New York. Um, I mean, from what I've been seeing, I actually haven't been to a farmer's market in Kentucky this year yet. Um, I've been traveling a bit, but, you know, a lot of tomatoes, a lot of greens, um, usually in like the spring and in the fall, there'll be a lot of root vegetables. Um, we have a lot of great farmers who are producing um, pasture-raised meats all around here as well. Um, 
So Kentucky's known for a lot of lamb. Um, we have great beef farmers in, but yeah, I would say it, you know, it's pretty similar to New York. I haven't seen any kind of specific Southern ingredients, maybe like, you know, okra, um, you know, string beans, things like that, but still things I think you could get, find in New York as well. Okay. And I don't know why I was like envisioning it as this like different world. I'm like, what's it like at a farmer's market in Kentucky? (laughs) A mystery. (laughs) So tell me who inspires you Pierce? Ooh. Um, if I would have to say one person like Otto Lange is definitely a huge inspiration of mine and his cooking and his style is definitely, um, definitely aligns with, I would say what I'm doing on my page right now and the food that I kind of make and kind of the food I continue to hope to make. So tell me who that is. Is that embarrassing? So, yeah. so y- Yoda Matalenghi is a, I would say recipe developer, cookbook author. And I believe he has, he, he does have a few restaurants in, um, in London as well. Um, so he is from Israel um, and he cooks a lot of very Mediterranean forward and um, variety from that area. Ooh, yeah, that is. That's your exact vibe. Were you like trying to, I guess, not emulate, but was it with your style? I feel like it is very unique and I can't really picture anybody doing something super similar. Like, were you kind of like just going rogue with it and being like, this is what speaks to me? Or like, were you kind of leaning into what other people are like yeah that that's kind of the question (laughs) yeah um I would say I'm always trying to you know differentiate myself but in the same sense all of this kind of happened organically like I was just you know starting with dips I was just making what I wanted to and as I decided to explore things outside of that I was just wanting to make things that you know I'd like to eat and I'd like to share with with friends and family uh that ultimately transitioned to, I'd say, a lot of, like, vegetable-forward small plates and salads. Um, and ultimately, I've realized that, you know, that separates myself a bit from other people making kind of food content in the social media space. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I try to be somewhat original. And I would say for the most part, I'm trying to develop my own recipes then recreate re- existing recipes in my own way got it okay that makes sense yeah and I, that, that, I felt like I knew the answer there but I was like am I missing something is there someone out there who's like doing something similar that I haven't caught on to um but that makes total sense so with your with you being you're still with your family right no I mean I have uh, I have a place here in Kentucky oh okay so you really I mean you're cooking for one then most nights yeah I mean to be I mean I'm I would say I eat with my family once or twice a week. Um, so sometimes I'll bring something over, but usually nothing goes to waste, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So is it like when you were kind of developing this and realizing like, oh, I want to start, you know, kind of creating content and honing in on these recipe development skills, did it kind of help to have the inspiration of your family there? Because I know me personally, I was home with my family during the pandemic too. And it was like, it's such a different experience than just cooking for yourself, as you know. (laughs) So like, did that kind of help kind of craft what you kind of were doing in this like culinary journey of yours? I wouldn't say it, it necessarily helped craft what I'm doing, but they are, I would say both my parents are 
I would I wouldn't say picky, but particular with the food that they like. So I know mm-hmm. like, and they're going to be very honest with me if they, especially my mom, if she likes something or if she doesn't. Um, so she's she's a very good palate. So it's always nice when I'm a little bit unsure about a recipe. Um, I'll take it over to her and have her, you know, tell me tell me what she thinks. <laughs> Ooh, what, what is her favorite? Does she have a favorite of yours? Um, I I don't know. I don't think so. Um, she likes it all. Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but she likes most of it for sure. Yeah, that's that's great that she's so honest with you. I feel like I don't give my friends and family a chance. I mean, there's they can be honest, but I feel like they make fun of me. I'll make something and I'll give it to them and I'll be like, "Do you love it? Do you love it?" <laughs> They're like, "Uh, yeah, I love it." So I don't really <laughs> Uh, give people the chance. I'm sure I wouldn't do well with super harsh criticism, but I guess being at working in a restaurant too, you kind of have to develop that thick skin with like having to make things a certain way and having those expectations to live up to. So that's awesome that you kind of have them there to like bounce those things off of. And I feel like that's probably been very helpful to you in this whole process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I absolutely love criticism, you know, the more the merrier. I think that's the only way I'm going to help, you know, understand and, and grow in my own cooking style um, and understand what other people want. And, you know, it's it's tough if you're just making things for yourself and you're like, OK, that I think that tastes good. Um, you know, I think it's it's always better to have uh, other people's opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you what would be some top tips of yours for home cooks who are kind I mean, what you're inspiring, what you're trying to inspire people to do, like cook for themselves more. Um, I guess what would your tips be for people who want to do that, but I guess aren't as comfortable or confident or like, I guess I'm sure that's a probably a loaded question, but what are some of the top tips? Like when people do ask you, like, how do I make better food for myself and my family at home? Yeah. I mean, I would say, honestly, just start reading recipes, find, you know, find uh, a chef, a cookbook author, even, you know, a content creator that you, you think you would like their food and and make those recipes and make them a mul- like multiple times and kind of figure out the spice levels, the, the, the seasoning, the salt, um, in kind of what works for you there. Uh, and then also in the same sense, at least for me, and I think this depends on kind of what you're cooking and if you're cooking, you know, something specifically cultural or not, I would say if you're not cooking anything specifically cultural, don't, don't fret too much if you don't have a certain ingredient. Um, you know, you, you should be able to make swaps and, and make adjustments. And I think uh, that's what I, I try to show people with some of my recipes is, you know, if you don't have a certain thing, you can still make the dish. Like there should be easy, accessible swaps. That's a big thing. Cause that's something that stresses me out. Sometimes I feel like a lot of, you know, I hear from a lot of people like, oh yeah, yeah, you, you can get this at H Mart. And I'm like, I'm not going to H Mart. You know? <laughs> like, I don't want to. And so then it's like, you kind of run into this place where you're like, oh, I really wanted to make this cool, this cool, like, I don't know, like beef bulgogi for dinner, but I don't have kind of the main things that give it that flavor. So that's interesting to hear you say that because I was totally, I've run into that a few times where I'm like trying to make something new and I don't really have the main, you know, like I don't have gochujang and I'm like, ugh, forget it. Like, just ordering in, I guess. So I guess that's, that's cool to hear you say that, that that's something you try to, I guess, work around. 
Yeah. And, and again, I think it, it really depends if you're going to be making, you know, a, a, a cultural dish. I think that's a different thing. And, you know, if, if you've definitely never had it before, if you haven't made it before, I would, you know, be adamant about trying to source all of the proper ingredients. But I would say with, with some of the things that I make and maybe some recipes that don't have uh, a cultural significance, you know, feel free to, you know, have some fun with it and, and find what you have it accessible to you and also what, what you like to make it your own. Got it. Okay. That's what she meant that like, if it's not as culturally significant to have that ingredient, then just kind of go for it. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 And again, this is more for the food that I cook than, you know, anyone else's. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte to southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code... H-R-N. Learn more at gustiamo.com. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O dot com. So now I have a fun game for you. It's um, F, Mary Kill. F being <laughs> the G-rated version. <laughs> and okay. it's going to be three food items that I think will be hard for you to choose between. Okay. Could be wrong. I'm, I did my best to pick three. That would be difficult for you to ch- decide, like what to kill, what to marry. <laughs> so we've got avocado, okay, garlic, and okay. chickpeas. Ooh, okay. Um, we will kill the avocado. Really? Yeah. Ooh, um, I didn't see that coming. We'll probably we'll marry the chickpeas and we'll f the garlic. <laughs> Wow. So you and chickpeas have a long standing relationship and they're not going anywhere. It's yeah, forever. I, mean, I I love legumes. I think they're one of the most affordable, you know, uh, ingredients that, that you can get and also, you know, full of uh, nutrition um, and very manipulative. Uh, you can really, you know, um, do a lot of different things with them. And majority of cuisines have uh legume based dishes interesting and then the avocado kill it right off the bat that's surprising yeah i mean it's it's great but nothing compared to garlic and, and chickpeas and Chickpeas. okay yeah. so it was really just a matter of being beat beaten out by the others yeah i mean no, i don't no actual hard feelings yeah i don't i don't i don't love or hate avocado it's fine it's like Am I going to pay $2 extra for avocado? Probably not. But if it's there for free, sure. 
okay, that's a very important distinction to make. That that's a hot take. That's a perspective I think I can get behind. <laughs> but I really did not see that coming. That really shocked me. And then the garlic, just like you love it, but you're not as in love with it as you are with the chickpeas. Yeah, I've I've noticed too that, you know, I'm trying to be more uh like trying to diverse what kind of like diversify the the flavors I use in a lot of the dishes that I make and I find garlic is kind of an easy I wouldn't say cop out like it's it's delicious it you, should, you should be using it in a lot of things but I don't I don't want to use garlic in in everything um and I think I guess as you grow as a cook you try to understand more delicate flavors um and garlic is not one of those flavors. <laughs> well, okay. You're, I mean, you're right about that too. You've got hot takes, but you're not wrong. Cause anybody who's like trying to, you know, make something really good, just add a bunch of garlic in it. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's not a cop out, but it is a very easy default to go to of like, Oh, you know, we're making meat, we're making something like, let's just add a bunch of garlic. It's going to be good. But I do yeah. like that perspective of like, as far as aromatics go and, you know, flavoring agents kind of like, challenging yourself to try something different definitely and like mind you when i'm cooking for myself like at home yeah like four cloves of garlic are going in but of course as i as i try you know to develop recipes or, or cook for others i'm i'm trying to be a little more uh you know adamant about my garlic usage oh wow 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 well you you got me there <laughs> <laughs> i can't argue with any of that logic i gotta say <laughs> So is there anything else super important about your like culinary journey um, or perspective that I haven't touched on yet? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think we, we chatted about just about everything. Yeah, all the burning questions about <laughs> your culinary life. But you're, you're definitely super fascinating to to learn from and talk to and like hear your story. So I appreciate you telling me all about it. Yeah, it was uh, such a pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Feed Feed and Heritage Radio Network. So yeah, it's, uh, two for one right here. <laughs> yeah, right. If only and, we were and me at, too. Uh, and me too. I'll throw myself in there. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> of course, I'm way up there with Heritage Radio. Pierce loved it. <laughs> if only. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Pierce, for joining me. Thanks so much for listening. For those who listen to learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed. And don't forget to follow Pierce at Pierce Abernathy on Instagram and at Pierza on TikTok. That's P-I-E-R-Z-Z-A. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that question of what's for dinner, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. 
Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.